0: room smith but elliot back again for another episode of the nolcast want to as always thank our friends in new iberia louisiana louisiana hot sauce three simple ingredients one fantastic product a title sponsor the nolcast been with us since day one and as always we will thank our friends fortunate to be able to work with them and fortunate for us to be able to laud praise on a product that we authentically enjoy as much as we do, uh, but got some good stuff to talk to on the, on the recruiting trail. Florida state continues to have success. Um, let's jump into it there and just kind of work our way through uh, both the recruiting updates and some of the additional kind of fallout, if you will, or, or putting a bow
1: on the Marvin Wilson, uh, Mike Norvell situation last week. Yeah. Let, let's start with some, with some positive news here. Uh, so Florida state picked up uh, two commitments since the last time we spoke, uh, First came uh, Omarion Cooper, Omarion who plays for uh, for Lehigh High School. That was down there by me back when I used to live down there uh, in Fort Myers. Kid I know fairly well. I actually put in a crystal ball pick for him to Florida State. I think like about a year ago, and uh, always felt like he had a good connection with with, with, the, with the program. Uh, his, his coach James Chaney obviously played defensive tackle for Florida State back in the '90s and, and, and knows Odell well. I first saw Cooper, I think, when he was a freshman. So that would have been like twenty. Yeah, that would have been in in twenty seventeen, um, and and he looks fairly good against against my alma mater, uh, high school wise. And he's an interesting player. He's he's one of the better corners in the state. Uh, he has some length to him. I, I think he is uh, probably a, a legit six foot player with uh, with a lot of aggressiveness. He, he has some good athleticism. I, I don't know that he's like an elite track guy, but, but, but he, he has some length and, and some aggressiveness to him. Um, and I, I think that's what Florida State is looking for at their boundary, at, at their boundary corner position. Um, they've had an interesting trend recently of sort of offering and taking some smaller, uh, very competitive corners, you know, guys who may not have the highest ceiling, um, uh, but who have probably a pretty good floor. And, you know, a, a school like Auburn recently where Marcus Woodson uh, has come from has had a lot of success with some corners who are not that big, although the, the kid they had drafted in the first round uh, this year was obviously uh, fairly tall. But they've had a lot of smaller competitive guys who, who, who can stick uh, stick with the in-man coverage. Uh, Cooper, I, I think, is a little bit different than that. Not that he's not competitive, because I feel like he is very competitive, uh, but Cooper is a player uh, who is like is not afraid to hit you. He's, he's not afraid to press you. And I, I also think he presents uh, a bit of scheme versatility. Uh, right now for them because he's a guy like if he were to blow up in the weight room he could also play safety for you and and so i i think this is a a solid take for them a couple people asked in in the patreon through the messaging system like hey were they taking this guy just to sort of get some positive publicity after the marvin wilson uh thing and or i guess we should probably call it the micro bell thing maybe not the marvin wilson thing but marvin's a little more descriptive there I, and, and no, I, I I don't think so. Uh, he's a four-star, top three hundred player on the composite. We had twenty four seven have him as a little bit more of a high three star. He's a guy a guy who I think could have blown up some if, if he had been at you know camps and, and seven on sevens uh, this summer, having a chance to go to go against a little bit more elite players. There's not a whole lot of elite receivers coming out of Fort Myers uh, area on a year to year basis, which is where he lives uh but overall a a pretty good prospect and somebody who they they beat out some you know some some solid schools for right like we we know what South carolina liked him uh, Michigan state liked him. I'm trying to remember what what he had in his top six um but the some schools who do a pretty good job of scouting defense overall i i think a pretty solid take for them
0: yeah nice uh nice pickup like you said four star composite three star uh on on your network there We'll talk about the next pick up here, a kid out of uh, Georgia, uh, offensive lineman. But uh, before we do, Florida State's now ranked 18th uh, in the overall recruiting setting. So obviously we're in June. We're not going to get too worked up about that. But for the the people who, you know, three or four weeks ago really worried about the class ranking, maybe that makes you feel a little bit better. Maybe that gives you a better idea as to uh, where the class is headed. And certainly they've put in uh, a lot of work, and I'm not suggesting they've just been put in work over the last ten days, but over the last ten days has led to uh, a series of commitments that has you know given the class a lot more structure and a better idea as to what the overall you know base level to which they'll continue to build off of. So a nice little class coming together, not necessarily tons of uh, super elite prospects, but I think the pickup of Cooper is kind of a continuation of a trend of really solid kind of borderline three to four star players that uh, project fairly well in in the system and reflective of it existing knowledge the staff had uh, with almost all of these guys. So uh, with that, we'll talk about Brian Estes kid out of uh, kind of the Southern tip of Metro Atlanta here in McDonough, Georgia Estes is a really nice player and this has been mentioned elsewhere. So I'm, I'm not trying to sound like I'm unique with knowledge here, but just from familiarity with the high school scene in in Georgia and Atlanta overall. I'd be real careful about extracting much of anything from his tape. He plays in uh, Class A of Georgia, and then uh, Class A is unique in the fact that I think this is still the case, but uh, Class A is the only one that has a public kind of private divide. So really, he's just playing ball against kind of some of the smaller private schools of the metro Atlanta area, which doesn't mean you're not going to see good players. Uh, It does mean that you need to have a pretty – Heavy filter on, on some of the tape you watch, and this would be a kid that I would watch the tape look at, and then maybe be a little bit more open to some, some camp performances or evaluations against players that aren't uh, you know, native to the, the pool of talent that he encounters on Friday nights
1: I, That's a very fair point to make with, with, with Bryson, I mean you want a guy who you're going to take at the Florida state level to absolutely crush the competition. That he faces, right? Like that. Like you want to see dominance, and when I watch his tape, I I do see him dominating at that level. And the key there is both the both parts of that sentence are key: dominate, but also at that level, right? I mean, he he is a dominant player, but it's it's against competition that's not very good. I think he's a guy who has a little more length than than his listed height. He's six three. I know Florida State staff that like. Their mantra is like, you, you take height to get length, right? They, they don't want tall guys who have, have short arms that they, they don't really feel like, li- like it really helps them all that much there on the offensive line. So, uh, I think one of the inefficiencies they're trying to find in the market are guys who are maybe not listed six five because they're probably not going to get those guys right now. Uh, but guys who are not listed six five who maybe do have more of that six four or six five wingspan. And in doing so, Maybe they can achieve what they're looking for as far as length from a blocker. Uh, On his high school tape, he plays right tackle, uh, but I think ultimately he will play inside Florida State. I I think guard is is most likely, assuming that they that Florida State holds on to the commitment from uh, Jake Slaughter, the the offensive uh, guard slash center out of the Ocala area, who Florida offered uh, during the dead period. There's some optimism that 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 Sts could play tackle uh, as well. I I'm a little hesitant on that simply because I want to see him play against a, a higher uh, you know caliber of competition in space before I believe he can do that. And I also really have not seen him do a whole lot of pass blocking against anybody with the pulse. Uh, so it's hard for me to say. Yeah, this kid could could also kick out and play tackle. I, I won't totally write it off, but. I, I think ultimately he's a guard, and somebody who Florida State is is very happy to get. I, I know uh, other schools uh, liked him a lot as well, and, and he had picked up a, a number of, of recent offers that are are fairly decent. But uh, but Florida State ends up, you know, getting him. The, the one thing I, I do like, I, I will point out, um, I I think you can kind of judge this on, on the film, even though he's not playing guys who, who are very good. He moves in space very well. You know, I, I like that's something I I I think that translates. He he gets to the second level. He seems to pick off backers and safeties quite well. He 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 redirects nicely. Um I think he's got the frame to to get up and, and be a bit bigger. Ultimately, I, I like the aggressiveness too. So I think this is a pretty good take for them. Um is it a take you would celebrate if you're in the hunt for the for a number one overall class? No. Florida State's not in that hunt right now, and they, they have to be smart and they have to be efficient. About who they go after and who they take, and so ultimately, I think this is a take that Florida State fans should be uh, fairly happy about. Yeah, it's a
0: it's a nice solid pickup. Continues the trend of of kind of uh, raising raising the floor at the offensive line position overall, and uh, a kid that, uh, like you said, I think the flexibility is to play pretty much any of the interior offensive line spots, with offensive guard probably being uh, the best fit, or at least the best fit of that of which we can uh, immediately discern want to thank our friends at Madison socials as we do always. Uh, they've been with us since the the first day that we transformed to the Nullcast and, uh, just been a remarkable time uh, for us overall with the, with the sponsorship and the pairing that we've been able to have, uh, but really the last three or four months. And, and again, want to thank the listenership for the support that they gave those guys in a, in a time that's hard to explain, or I certainly hope we'll never have to have to replicate, but, uh, Matt and his team are kind of back on their feet again, open with, uh, as Bud points out very uh, appropriately, an awful lot of open air dining situations uh, for you to choose from. If that's your wish, you can always pick up and go. Um, and then you can always support them from afar if you choose. And I will point out that we are a week away from, from Reuben Day, the 17th of the month, always a, uh, something to put on your calendar. And if you're a local uh, supporter of the Nolecast and supporter of Madison Social We'd certainly encourage you to head that way next week. So, for all the entities of the For the Table Restaurant Group, uh, we certainly appreciate your support uh, for the podcast and to our listenership, uh, that of which you've given to Matt and his team, uh,
1: we're we're very grateful for. From that, to some news that that's that's not quite as good. Uh, Manny Rogers, the uh, defensive tackle commitment that Florida State signed in the class of twenty twenty. Uh Chris Nee of Knowles twenty four seven reported that he will uh be going to junior college. And uh that that's that's certainly a blow for, for that class. When, when I look at that class, I, I see some guys who are fairly solid football players who I think will help the floor of the team. Uh but I don't see a whole lot of guys who have really high upside in in in, in the class that you know Norvell had just a couple short weeks to put together. Uh, but many rodgers was was one of those guys and so he'll be end up going to junior college um obviously we knew we we know that the test score requirement got waived uh for players entering uh you know basically graduating and, and enrolling this summer/fall slash because a lot of the, a lot of the tests uh and and testing opportunities ACT SAT were uh, were wiped out due to the covid situation and have them shut down uh, but that, that only really applies if you have grades and your, your core coursework. And ultimately, some of these kids just, they, they have too much, um, basically too much ground to make up. And so he'll be going, uh, to junior college. And from Florida State's perspective, they absolutely want him back. He's not like one of these guys they just signed as a favor to his high school. Like they, they, they want the kid back. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to monitor that situation, but, but certainly, That's not what you want. You don't want him having to go to a junior college to develop. You want to get him on campus, and that's a blow to the class.
0: It's tough, man. I mean, it was always going to be, I don't want to say a risky proposition, but Manny was always a raw prospect. But the ceiling was as high, in my opinion, as anybody that that you signed in the 2020 class. So don't want to sugarcoat it. Florida State is going to be okay in the short term uh, at defensive tackle, but has to to realize that there's some concern when you look – Uh, two, three, four years out, and and Rodgers would have been uh, one of the answers. One of the elite big bodies that they signed. uh, Hopefully they can get him back. You have to have a little bit more confidence uh, in maybe seeing that process through because of Norvell and his staff's familiarity with JUCOs and the JUCO process. Uh, I know that historically when you see a kid go to JUCO, eh, not not a whole lot of the story uh, remains to be written from a Florida State perspective. Uh, I don't know that that will necessarily be the case. Certainly wish Manny the best of luck. And, uh, hopefully that's a guy that you see wearing garnet and gold in the, in a couple of years from now.
1: One, biz- w- one bit of interesting news. And, and this is a player who I, I think I'm actually going to be writing about, uh, for, for national team at 24 seven is that uh, Florida State offered a kid named, uh, Katravion Hargrove, right? And Katravion is a dude who uh, I know we looked at on, on rankings council for 24 seven and we, we loved him and. I think it's just one of these reasons or one of these situations right now where, if like, but for COVID, I think he would have a lot bigger offers and would probably have blown up a, a lot more. Like, unless there's just something we're missing about the kid, if, if he's actually, you know, five five or something, and not not five ten. This is the running back committed to Law Tech. Yes, yeah, and and, and Louisiana Tech has, has done a pretty good job on their scouting and, and early offers there. Um, but Matt, like. Watch this kid's film. There's really nothing not to like. I have a little bit of questions about the long speed. I, I don't, I don't have verified track times on him. I maybe want somebody else in our group does, but this is not a good running back year nationally. Okay. We have the Travion Henderson kid who's going to Ohio State and he's probably the best back we've seen in five or six years coming out of the high school level. Right, like going back to, I mean, even like like the the Acres Najee class. After that, the drop off in running back this year is is pretty steep. We we don't really see a lot of guys who are like. There's no other running back out there right now who is on the verge of five star status or even close to the conversation. I don't think. And so teams are going to have to be really good in, in their running back scouting this year. This is a player who Florida State running backs coach David Johnson, uh. Offered and and, uh, and and seems to like so, yeah. Go watch this kid's film if, if you want just an enjoyable watch this morning or whenever you listen to the show. It's it's pretty fun. He's he's a good player, and I think La Tech got him primarily because he just he plays right in La Tech's backyard, like literally.
0: I was gonna say he's from Ruston, uh, which is the town that that Louisiana Tech's in, so they probably. <laughs> Probably we're first to know. Yeah, real good tape. Uh, tons of balance. Uh, some always keeps his feet moving. I agree with you. Some of those runs in high school, or you know, you're not necessarily going to shed eight tackles and and take it to the house. Um, and his his breakaway speed may be limited, but runs aggressively. Has all the things that you look for. Uh, I was I was shocked to look at his uh, to look at who he was committed to and his and his offer sheet at the time uh, a couple of days ago. So. Uh, really intri- intriguing prospect and somebody to watch at the running back position.
1: All right, last recruiting thing here before we get to our listener questions. Uh, and we're going to just kind of put a bow on the Mike Marvell, uh, Marvin Wilson situation. On Monday, Wilson appeared on the ACC Network show and talked about how the team could grow and, and be tighter and and help uh, with a variety of, uh, of societal uh, issues and whatnot. Did you get to watch the, the full thing i I read the transcript but i I didn't get to watch it well oh, I went back and watched it Yeah um, I thought it was a really solid appearance uh, from
0: Marvin not that he needs us to grade every every media uh, presentation he does but just a, a unique kid and obviously uh, took what he did seriously kind of confirmed some of the things that we we talked about in the previous podcast where it was our opinion it wasn't just a a Marvin Wilson issue it was Marvin Wilson speaking on behalf of his teammates and and uh, kind of the process that led up to him uh, making his tweets. And um, we'll talk about the recruiting implications in a second. And I don't want to be redundant, but I'm I'm going to be pretty firm in sticking to what we said last week. There's often been a lot of talk about, oh, well, this is going to be a positive. What happened last week is not a positive. Now, there may be some, some ramifications that come out of it uh, that are positive. We talked about the emergence of a, a real true leader in the locker room, something this program hasn't had in a an awful long time. And uh, maybe some a better feeling of cohesiveness amongst uh, a broader locker room players and a staff who for the first time had to really get to know their players. And I'm not suggesting they didn't want to or didn't try earlier. Obviously, there's been some extenuating circumstances. And in life, there's going to be you know, opportunities where you have very real conversations, uh, and and that sounds like it happened last week. So, uh, I, I do think there are some some positive aspects of this experience, but uh, I would feel very disingenuous if I was trying to sit here and and spin this as one big positive and that uh, you know nothing but good
1: things are going to come out of it. Related news: uh, Michael Trigg put out a top list of the one of the top tight ends um, in the country from, from Florida, a, a prospect who Florida State thought they were doing well with, and he doesn't have Florida State in in, in his top list anymore. 24-7 sports, Steve Wilfong said that he expected uh, Norvell and company to speak with Trigg uh, sometime this week. Maybe they'll be able to smooth some things over, but you're exactly right. Like a lot of our, our listeners have sent us these articles, and, and I'm just I'm like, these are like just fluff pieces, just, Total fan service stuff about how this is like a, a, a big positive. No, it's not. A positive would, w- would be, uh, w- would be affecting that societal change without your head coach, uh, would be charitable here, misspeaking, right? And w- without your leader having to call him out over social media, which is where the, you know, the misspeaking w- was seen at the behest of, of his, uh, his fellow teammates. I-, I think you, you nailed it though. And, and we were like, yeah, man. This wasn't just a Marvin thing; he was speaking for the teammates because he, he's their leader. I, I think Norvell will do well at Florida State, but it's clear he still has, you know, work to do to earn the trust of, of this team, as I think most coaches out there who are taking over a team in the COVID era uh, have to do because you just haven't seen these guys in person. You don't have them on campus like that; like you're not meeting with them in person every day. I mean, you're still doing Zoom stuff.
0: It's being used against Florida State negatively on the recruiting trail, uh, which doesn't come as a big surprise. And look, you're get, you're going to get negatively recruited regardless. So I, I'm I'm not trying to make too big of a deal of it, but um, like like we said last week, don't don't give another example or situation which gives more credence to this one. Uh, that that'll be a hell of a lot more of a successful uh, negative negative push uh, to be had by others. And and yeah, I would use it. I mean, it's just it's. The way the process, it's the way the sausage is made. And uh, it does comes as no surprise that that's being used against Florida
1: State. You want to go to listener questions from our, our Patreon? That's patreon.com slash nolcast. But first, I do want to tell everybody about the excellent experience I've had with Shannon Young. Uh, I went through Shannon Young Resolution Home Loans to get my mortgage and my refi. Over 60 nolcast listeners have used Shannon 844 FSU loan. That's 844. FSU loan. You guys should absolutely check them out. Great customer service, great rates. And when you call them, you get a little null talk as well. Uh, so re- re- really good experience there. And, and I couldn't be happier with that. And uh, so let's go ahead and get into our listener questions here. Uh, which one do you want to take first? Start with uh, Dean.
0: Dean had a series of uh, questions that we chose to pick a couple out from here. Uh, Dean writes, when the time allows, could you please give us a typical day of a power five football athlete, especially during practice for the season, and if possible for the coaching staff? Essentially, just how many hours are actually expended performing daily and weekly as an amateur athlete? But obviously, you're open to answer any of this question, but I think you'll probably have a better feel for the athlete uh, necessarily than I would, and I might be able to chip, uh, chip in when it comes to the coaching staff.
1: Yeah, so with, with, with the athlete, um, okay, so a normal day, you're going to have uh either team or position meetings sometimes both uh, you're going to have study hall right which is usually going to be either you know morning or or evening depending on on what time of day your day your team practices you're going to have to go to practice obviously which which is a couple hours uh you're going to have a lift on most days uh and then if you are a player who is struggling with some sort of injury or recovery issue you are also going to have um uh, rehab, or uh, basically like like come in and not not rehab, but like treatment. You know, come come in, get get rubbed down, get you know get iced, get 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 stretched out, extra, whatever sort of like medical attention uh, that you need to get to to be able to play for that week is, is something you're going to have to to go in there and do. Uh, and something I haven't even mentioned yet is school. You actually have to go to class too. So it's it's basically they say. You know, 20 hours a week, but that's like the regulated stuff. Like there's no, there's no like maximum how much treatment you can come in and get, right? There's no maximum on like how many voluntary times you can come to the coach's office and, uh, and ask, ask him something, uh, about life, of course, right? Like we're, cause we're all about life lessons, not, not just focusing. Doors always open to come talk about life. Yeah. So that, that's kind of what you're looking like for, uh, for an athlete. Um, you want to take the coach's side of this?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not all that different other than the coaching staff doesn't have uh, it quite as well-defined periods of it. Um, some of them do actually have to go to class, not so much to absorb information, but rather to monitor that of uh, which of their group is going to it. The daily coach or, or the the average coach on a, on a staff, I'd say, starts his day somewhere between 4.30 and 5.45, uh, depending on you know personal sleep patterns or whatever else. But it's a, it's a pretty early start. Uh, you come into the office, and a lot of times it's it's monitoring kids uh, that of which fall under your group. So, uh, depending on how the school is set up uh, as far as training, uh, rehab, those are normally the first kids that get looked at, uh, and then you kind of go throughout your day. Everybody has a little bit of a different situation as far as when uh, you know lifts are, when work is. Uh, what what it does become. Interesting and where you do see some variation of of what's the expectation of the staffs. I'd say everybody's day pretty much looks the same up until about six thirty. Now you may have, uh, you know, you may have different activities scheduled at different times, but it's all a process of uh, weight room practice, monitor of rehab, monitor of kids going to class, etc. Some staffs will let you go home and make your recruiting calls from home. Um, most don't. I'm, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm not. Uh, I haven't been through this process, but more times than not, I find that the the guys who who do it in the building uh, tend to have maybe have a little bit more success. But if you're a professional and you've been doing it for a while, uh, some coaches will let you go home, make your recruiting calls, texts, whatever. Um, if you're doing all of your recruiting, if you're doing all of your work before you close your office door and go home. Uh, I would say the average workday as a as a as a position group coach is you're in the building at six and you probably leave the building somewhere between nine thirty and eleven o'clock at night. So uh, it's not necessarily it's not a whole lot of fun. And this is the schedule for about fifty one weeks of the year. I mean, there's there're normally maybe five to ten days where coaches have a you know a brief vacation, but it's uh you know it's you're working investment banker hours. I'll put it that way for for the vast majority of the year. And it's a
1: grind. It's an absolute grind. If you're a head coach, um, it's a little bit different in that, like, you're not checking in on a specific group of players for, for the most part, right? Like, you are generally holding like a staff meeting and then they're going to go around, go around the room and say, okay, who missed class? Who are we worried about grades wise? What's the injury update on, you know, this kid, this kid and this kid from, from the trainers? Uh, hey, like, what, what are we thinking here from this group for this week? Uh, and then you'll, you know, like it, there's a lot of, of individual and then there's a lot of meetings that you're, you know, you're, you're the head coach. You'll, you'll pop in on the offensive meeting, on the defensive meeting, kind of trying to understand exactly like how you're going to attack the, the, you know, the team that week, assuming that it's, it's a game, you know, you can win, but it, it's, it's a lot of stuff. And then if you're the head coach, you have more media obligations, right? And you're, you're watching, you're watching far less re- recruiting film. I mean, some head coaches still want to watch everybody that, that the school is going to offer, you know um but they're not digging into like most head coaches, as far as I know, are not looking at like game film of recruits, they're probably just watching the highlight you know that's kind of how that goes
0: yeah and un- until there's a real uh, definitive conversation about o- whether or not to offer I would say is the only time that that uh, the real viewing of uh two to three you know you'd normally have your position coach head coach and then maybe. Uh, one or two people with with original contact on a position uh, on a player, so that is, in my opinion, and, and you know this process better than I. But it's the only time where really the people will zoom out and watch a broader collection of tape. All
1: right. Uh, second question here. First, uh, I wonder at the newsworthiness of FSU reports on recruiting when they're informing us that a potential recruit has us in their top five or ten. Is there some possible value for reporting anyone outside their top three, other than providing clickbait for the publisher? Uh, I guess we can take that one first. Yeah, I I think there there actually is value. Um, most kids who drop a top 20 are not dropping the top 20 in order, right? They're just like, this is just a general top group of schools. And I guarantee you the schools want to know this information. And if you're a diehard fan, you probably want to know the same information that the schools want to know. Like The school wants to know, okay, if we don't make this kid's top 20, top 20? we we probably need to move on like like he's just not very interested in us you know and and they the schools absolutely do use like these kids putting out their top lists as a way to refine their recruiting board and sometimes a top list will come out and they'll be like ooh shoot like man we thought we were in better position there with him uh than than we actually are or maybe a top list comes out and the school's a little higher than they want to be and that sounds weird but let me explain that so Maybe the school likes this kid. Maybe he's kind of a secondary option for them. They've quote unquote offered, but they don't really want to take him right now because they have other kids who they like better. Uh, that's another situation that, that also comes up. So they, they want to use that information. Uh, and I think if you're a diehard recruiting fan, you do as well. It, it's, it, we don't want less information from recruits, right? And you don't want your, your, your recruiting website to not pass it on. I think in NOLS 24-7, they do a good job of passing it on and giving context, right? Which is where the real value comes to the subscriber. You're getting context from the guys who are in communication with the coaching staff, who have a general feel uh, for what the recruiting board looks like. Yeah, hey, they made this kid's top 10, but I'll give you some context here. Ultimately, we think like his top four are probably the, the true contenders. And, and that's what I, I think you saw uh, the more honest outlets doing when they would report on like a top 10 from say a Marius Mims, right? I mean like, yeah, Marius Mims says he's going to take an official visit. However, if he goes anywhere, but like Georgia or Obama, it's going to be a major surprise. Uh, the, the honesty there I, I think is, is important. Um, but I, I think there's some good media outlets who, who do that. Yeah. I think there's value. I've had a coach tell me that he, he,
0: and obviously this is dependent on where you are in the calendar, but he, he cares, really cares about if a kid puts out a top six or seven. Um, And this is before official visits have been set, because in his opinion, if we're in the top six, then we can probably convince him to visit, to have us be one of, we can probably convince him to have us be one of the other spots that he's looking at taking. Uh, and, And when it really comes down to getting kids in for the officials, it's a great kind of distillation process as to whether or not you're in it or not. So I think all these all these lists basically serve what you talked about. It's it's a you know is this a kid that we're in contention with? Is this a kid that it's worth us putting the resources in uh, to continue the recruitment process? And then when it comes time to set an official visits, is this a kid that we're going to get one? Is this a kid that has a school listed that we think we can kind of uh, out position or outflank to get one of those five spots? So um, that's that's just what I've taken from coaches who have talked about how they read lists, at least how they read lists when it comes time to, uh, trying to finalize official visits.
1: Absolutely. All right. So, uh, the second question here, uh, looking at the offensive line, uh, while we have, uh, through various means unloaded the number of non-performing linemen, the overall strength of the line is still poor at best. Uh, so are we still fielding the worst line in the ACC and can we practically speaking scheme our way out of having defensive linemen in the backfield before our backs even get the ball? Oh man, just getting right to it on on a Wednesday morning. Okay, I'm going to be positive here. I don't think this will be the worst offensive line in the ACC. Uh, I, I think that they have raised the floor there somewhat. You have a player like Darius Washington, who you know, maybe he can be an average ACC offensive lineman this year, right? Maybe Lucas can be an average to above average ACC offensive lineman this year. And you have a player in Brady Scott who has never been good, but he's not been like the worst player. On the line, and, and he's a guy I think they're going to be relying on some this year. They have a couple different options at center. If if on can't hack it, maybe Maurice Smith. Right? I, I mean, who knows what what you get with Baselli? I I don't know. I'm not quite as high on Baselli as, as some folks are, uh, but I, I feel like like they're not going to be the worst offensive line in the ACC this year. I'll I'll, I'll go out there and and say that I think that you know maybe they can get to below average. As an offensive line this season nationally, and that would be, that'd be pretty interesting. Uh, but no, I I don't think they'll have the worst O line in the ACC this year. They could have the worst tackles in the ACC. I won't totally rule that out. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I I think they're going to be better than that. Not by a ton, but I think they'll be better than that. Some can they scheme around it? Ultimately, I I, I spoke with with my colleague Barton Simmons yesterday. He was asking about Florida State, and I said I, I think this defense will be pretty good. I mean, I don't know what the pass rush is going to look like or if they're going to have a pass rush, but I think the defense will will be fairly solid. And I think this offense is just going to be an offense that has to hit explosive plays. It's not going to be able to block it up to go on methodical sustained drives. I mean, look, explosive plays are great anyway. You want to hit explosive plays, but I think this offense will, again, have to be fairly reliant on the explosive play because I'm not a believer in the quarterbacks that they have being super consistent on a down-to-down basis. I mean, I I don't think you are either. And they have some explosive pieces at receiver, including Tamari and Terry. So we'll have to see kind of how they, how they go there. I think the offensive line is not going to be the worst in the ACC. Next
0: question uh, comes from Josh. Josh asks, where would you rank Luke Altemire among the Florida state quarterback commitments and loss commitments like Sam Powell, Sam Powell, In fact, would you mind ranking everyone from Altemeyer now back to the 2015
1: class with Francois, while including Sims and Hal? Henry is a very clear one, right? Like I, as a prospect, talent-wise, none of these guys are close to him. I don't think.
0: Yeah, as a pure prospect, I mean, obviously, there's it becomes cloudy when evaluating Malik, but uh, as far as a pure pure prospect, he's head and shoulders
1: above everybody. I would say Johnson is probably my my number seven. Just, I, I think he's a guy who got rated highly early, based on you know his productivity early on, but uh, but didn't really develop like like we liked in high school. You know, just didn't get a whole lot better, and and you see that sometimes in ratings, and that, that's something I know that rating services try to avoid, and actively try to avoid more now is like, not being married to an early rating you slapped on a kid because he was better than everybody else as a freshman, but by the time he gets to be a senior, other guys have caught up to him, and passed it. I would probably say I'd probably take Howell as my two, and then I would go. You put Hawkman seven or Blackman seven? Blackman is just so unrefined. I, I I want I want to put him seven for me. Probably Hawkman six. Francois was a weird one for me because Francois it's just his accuracy was always so bad. But then again, Sims ha- did not have great numbers as a, as a senior either. So. I'll probably have like Francois and Sims tied, roughly. I would have Francois, and then I would have I would more or less have Altmaier and Sims kind of together at that three to four spot. I think following their junior years, that's that's probably fair. I mean, I, I guess we'll see. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Sims really d- didn't have that senior year that that everybody thought he, he could have, um, but he did have a, a fairly decent junior year, and obviously it was pretty impressive on, on the camp circuit. I think that's that's pretty fair. I I think Alt Myers is pretty good pretty good prospect. I think he's limited in some ways, right? I I don't, I don't see the huge arm on him. He's got some good testing numbers, but his high school rushing numbers are terrible, right? And actually, that's that's a red flag. We've gone back and looked at guys who go, you know, in the first round or guys who go in the top hundred picks. They all have good high school rushing numbers, and Alt Myers' numbers in, in high school running the ball. And I would say we're going to throw the ball, yeah, but it. It does reflect it. Like in high school, there's enough broken plays that taking off and be able to run with it. Really, it, it's indicative. And you're also of the level of athlete that if you're going to project to a higher level, then
0: you can you can make a high school kid or two miss uh, on on Friday nights,
1: which is weird to me, right? Because for a kid who's like six one, you know, one seventy, one 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 eighty, who has good testing numbers, you would think that he would be able to do that. And yet, I don't really see it much on its highlights. I do see him run like scrambling a little bit and kind of moving in the pocket well, which is important. Last year, uh, according to Max Preps, 80 carries, 66 yards. Previous year, 20 carries, negative 25 yards. Previous year, five for negative 33. I mean, career 105 carries for eight yards. If if you're looking at, at the, the the data and the trends being that bad running the ball, if these are are to be believed, uh, that is a negative. Right? Like that, that is something that will spike you. Like that's like worse than like Jacob Eason level mobility. And Jacob Eason really couldn't move. He could just throw. He was like Drew Bledsoe 20 years later. Josh, that's a really cool question. I'm glad you glad you asked us that. Uh, before we get to our last one here, do you want to do a, a quick ad read for Travis Johnson? Travis Johnson, friend of the program and, and a proud supporter of the NOLCAST. Travis is, is a board certified family law attorney. Uh, you can reach Travis 850 435 9919. When you do, you will get hooked up with a guy with over a decade of family law experience, an actual expert in family law of the Metter and Johnson firm. Uh, he's offering a free consult and flexible payment rates to NoLcast listeners, if you mention the show. Again, guys, look, we know family law can be an uncomfortable subject at times, and you may not need a family family law attorney right now, but you never know what can happen. Doesn't hurt to take the number down, 850-435-9919, and mention the NoLcast. If you do have to call Travis, we wish you luck uh, with whatever you're having to call him about.
0: Final question comes, and uh, we won't spend too much time on this, but I thought it was an interesting question, and and we do get a, uh, I don't want to say a decent amount, but more than I would have ever imagined of people that aren't Florida State fans that listen to this podcast, and that's quite a compliment, so thank you. Uh, This guy writes, for an outsider, can you explain the differences and dynamics between the Miami-Florida State game and the Florida uh, Florida State game. Why do the major what do who do the majority of the fans reading is easy for me obviously. Who do the majority of fans consider to be the bigger of the two rivals? When I speak with friends of mine that are Gator fans, there seems to be about a 50-50 split uh, between whether their larger rival is Florida State or Georgia and was just wondering the Florida State perspective of it.
1: Yeah, so uh, it all depends on when you went to school, right? And typically it's like who was better when you went to school, right? If you are, if you went to school in the early 80s, you think Miami is, is, is the bigger rival because that was the school that was like winning titles back then and, and you were playing them, you know, consistently. If you are probably, what, 65 to 85 years old, I don't think there's any doubt that, that you regard Florida as as the far bigger rival. I'm just trying to think about how, like, my parents definitely hate Miami more than they hate Florida. I I think right now, part of that is probably, you know, growing up in Fort Myers, that that's, you know, very close to, you know, Miami uh, closer than it is to Gainesville. Uh, but also like they went, they went to school there in the early eighties. So if you are like, what do you say? Like 55 to 65 years old, you are probably, uh, you're probably hating Miami more. If you are in that, like, 35 to 45 range, meaning you went to school kind of in the late eighties, but especially like early nineties when Spurrier took over at Florida, you know, to, to that range uh, you probably hate Florida more. I'd say you're probably 50, 50 there.
0: I I think that is the age to which it just depends. Like, did you get your heart ripped out uh, by a, by a missed field goal or I, I agree. It's very much personal opinion. It's who you work with. It's who your peer group is. I can tell you that Miami doesn't scare me. Like I don't, I don't have any concerns about Miami as a program running away from Florida State. I do at times when really well coached and and resources are leveraged,
1: that Florida is a much bigger challenge uh, than because the SEC deal. Like it's not because like Florida's doing something necessarily. It's like they they have a level they could get to with the TV deal. It's
0: the SEC deal. It's the you know older historical university in the in the state. It's the state. It's the university with uh, you know much better developed uh, giving patterns when it comes from alumni. It just when that machine is is ticking, that can be scary from a Florida State perspective. There's very little that scares me about the University of Miami from a long-term perspective. I mean, I'm in my mid-thirties. Uh, had my heart ripped out by Miss Kicks. I was in Gainesville in 97. It's very hard for me to choose either of these two. Uh, there's, there's, you know, experiences that are painful <laughs> when I look back at them. Uh, but as far as just like a pure animosity level, I feel like on, on game days, uh, it's really hard to choose between the two. I think outside of game days, Miami and Florida State fans – I, I don't know, man. I mean this is a I think it's all it, it's individual perspective. I think Florida State, and Miami fans there may be a slight higher level of respect uh, than than Florida, Florida State, but again, it just depends on where you are, who you work with, and what's your particular experience with a rivalry fan.
1: I guess that's very true. It's also like when did you become a fan? Like a lot of our stuff is we're assuming you became a fan when you when you went to college, right? But if you became a fan as a young kid, then obviously the whole age thing, like, hey, if you're under thirty five, you probably hate Florida more. That's out the door because, like, who knows when you actually became a fan of of the team? But yeah, like ultimately, it is weird because there's. Do you know any Gator fans who think Georgia is a bigger rival than, than in Florida State? I know a couple, but they're like really old. You know, I mean, like they're they're seventy five plus. Other than that, for the most part, like that, that's not not a thing anymore. For them, with Florida State, you do kind of have two. With Miami not really doing a damn thing for about a twenty-year period, though nationally, I, I think it's trending back towards towards Florida being the uh, the main rival, which is what it's been for most of Florida State's history, just with, with the exception of kind of that thirty-year period between like eighty and twenty ten, maybe.
0: Great. Uh, certainly, thanks. Thank you for the listenership, and and thank you for a question from those that are not traditional Florida State fans.
1: All right, guys, really enjoyed doing this episode this morning. We'll we'll be back with some more episodes here this week, or maybe we'll just knock out two uh, next week. We want to keep dropping those questions in to patreon.com slash NOLCast. We we appreciate any kind of support you can give us. Also, really love when you drop us those five-star written reviews on Apple Podcasts. I know we're at 3,600. We'd love to get to like 4,000. That's just, man, we really appreciate y'all doing that. That is like a huge number for a single-team sports podcast.
0: This has been the NOLCast. The Knollcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knolls.